Bibles to Isaiah chapter 61. Our sermon text today is the first three verses of Isaiah 61. I would think that none of us here this morning like when good things are broken. Um, how many of you have ever purchased a new car? All right, there's a few hands out there. Do, do you remember the first scratch or the first dent on that car? My, my hunch is that you probably do. I, I remember my very first brand new 10-speed bike that I had saved up for as a kid. Um, and in the first couple of weeks, um, I hit a pickup truck head-on in the parking lot. And I was fine, but um, I bent the front forks on that bike beyond repair. And I, I was devastated after saving up so long for this 10-speed bike. Just calling it a 10-speed bike reveals my age too, doesn't it? Um, kids out there, I want, I'm wondering if you have ever built the perfect Lego set maybe a castle or a spaceship. Um, and as you were sitting back to admire it, your brother or sister tripped and fell into your Lego set and smashed it to smithereens. Um, if that happened for you, I bet you you were a little bit upset about it. Um, my wife isn't able to be here today, but when you see her next, Ask her about the brand new leather boots that I destroyed on our very first date. Um, it's actually still a bit of a sore subject. Um, we know the disappointment of broken material things. But far worse we, we, worse, we all know the pain of even greater brokenness in the things that matter most in life. When God created man in his image and likeness, male and female he created him, God said it is very good. But it didn't take long before Adam and Eve experienced great brokenness because of their sin. They, they felt shame and nakedness and they hid from God because of their guilt and their fear. It wasn't much, uh, much longer after that that God brought a worldwide flood against man, mankind because as we're told in Genesis 6 verse 5, the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. <laughs> man... Mankind was very broken. In fact, the more God revealed about his righteousness and holiness through the law, the more mankind became aware of their utter sinfulness before God. We've certainly seen that in and heard that from the prophet Isaiah through though Israel was brought into a special relationship with God by his grace, they as a nation stubbornly persisted in a rebellion uh, 
before God, so much so that the Lord sent Judah into exile in Babylon for 70 years. And during that time, the temple and the city laid in shambles. So in this, what, what do we learn? Well, first of all, we learn that a Savior was, and in fact is, greatly needed. We know that today in our own lives, partly because a need for a Savior was established throughout the Old Testament. One of the reasons the law was given to Israel was to show them their sin, to show them and us a Savior was needed. Today, people everywhere know clearly that there is a problem. Brokenness is everywhere. Everyone agrees that there is a problem, but not everybody agrees on the nature of the problem. But, but, but everybody knows there is a problem. I want you to know that God tells us plainly that our fundamental problem is sin. And sin is missing God's mark. It's breaking God's law. Mankind, mankind's problems started when Adam disobeyed God. And now sinful man will produce all sorts of sin. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19 through 21 tell us what kinds of things our sinfulness will produce. And I quote, verse, starting with verse 19, Now, the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And then 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2 through 5 adds this, For the people in the last days, people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, heartless, unappeasable, slanderous, without self-control, brutal, not loving good, treacherous, rash, uh, reckless, swollen with conceit, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having the appearance of godliness but denying its power. Not, not, not a pretty picture. Let, let me read... Just one more thing that God tells us about our problem. And I, and I do this because it's important for us to recognize the nature of our brokenness. Romans 3, 10 through 18 say, None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands, no one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they've become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an empty grave. They use their tongues to deceive the venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Again, not a pretty picture. And this sin brings death, physical death, spiritual death. Sin brings guilt, real objective guilt before God. Sin, sin brings judgment. It, in our sinfulness, we are also enslaved to sin. Sin 
renders us powerless against the evil one. So sinful man has a huge problem. Sinful man has a great need. Have you seen that need? Do do you see your need? And I I pray that you do, because if you don't, you won't see the desperate need that you have for a Savior. But I, I want you this morning to know that there is hope in that Savior, because the Lord saw that need. The Lord saw your need, and promised his anointed one, his Messiah, his deliverer, his Savior. Listen as I read verses 1 through 3 of Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit, that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. What, what a beautiful, powerful message we have here in Isaiah 61. And, and the more that we understand our greatest problem being sin, the more we, we see the beauty and the power of what is said here in Isaiah 61. Verse 1 begins by saying, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me. The, the speaker here states that the Lord has anointed him. Yahweh has anointed him. In the Old Testament, if you were anointed, you were set apart for God's service. And ultimately, God was the authorizing agent of that anointing. And with this anointing, divine enablement was given to accomplish God's assigned task. And so verse 1 says, the Spirit of the Lord God, or the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon me. This is what gives the enablement of God's service. In the Old Testament, we would see prophets and priests and kings anointed by the Lord. David was anointed by the Lord and the Spirit of God rushed upon him. But in Isaiah, we we have learned that it is the Lord's perfect servant who would come to accomplish God's work. In fact, he would be a prophet, priest, and king. So hope was tied to the Lord's perfect servant who would come. And we're told in these first three verses what will take place when the Lord's perfect servant comes. Now, today, we know that person is Jesus. We've already seen that a number of times in Isaiah. And here again, we know clearly that Jesus is the fulfillment of that promise given in Isaiah 61. We, We know that because of what Jesus himself tells us in Luke chapter 4, verse 16 through 21. Listen as I read that. And he, that is Jesus, 
came to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and as was his custom, he went to the synagogue on the Sabbath day, and he stood up to read. And the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was given to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where it is written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then verse 20 says, And he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. And the eyes of all in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. <laughs> it could not be more clear that Jesus is the fulfillment of what was promised in Isaiah 61. Um, a couple of years ago, as you know, Shelley and I were given the opportunity by you to go to Israel. One of the most there, there were many things, but one of the most memorable moments on our visit to Israel was in Nazareth. Um, we went to a site that portrayed what the historical city of Nazareth would have been like. And so there were a number of reenactments. We had a guide that would talk to us about daily life in, in Nazareth. But then they took us to this synagogue, it was a replica synagogue, and they talked a little bit about how the synagogue was used in that day. And the guide um, of this particular site, this was, it became really obvious that this particular historical uh, site, historical reenactment was really run by a group of evangelicals. Uh, there are many sites in Israel um, that are run by people who are not evangelicals, and that's another whole story. But the, the heartbeat of this particular ministry became evident when our guide, there in the synagogue, this replica synagogue in Nazareth, talked about how Jesus would have come to the synagogue in Nazareth and opened up the scroll, found Isaiah 61, and our guide read this very saying that, that Jesus just gave. And he, he read um, Isaiah 61. And then at the end of that time, what I remember was the, the, the guy just quietly said, may God give you eyes to see and believe. Um, and it was just something that stuck out of my mind. And what stuck out of my mind the most wasn't just being in a synagogue that was a replica. What, what stuck out of my mind, what moved my heart was rehearsing the truth that Jesus came announcing good news. Good, good news was really needed. In fact, Jesus himself is that good news. He, he came to bring good news to the poor. Um, that's what verse 1 tells us. The, the English phrase, bring good news, is actually one Hebrew word, and it means to tell or announce, to, to herald, proclaim, or preach good news. 
So Jesus came speaking, preaching, revealing good news. And he came proclaiming that good news to the poor. And that certainly means it could include economically poor people, but that's not the main point. Uh, John Oswald rightly says, poor speaks of all who are distressed and in trouble for any reason, including sin. In the Beatitudes found in Matthew 5, the very first Beatitude taught by Jesus says this, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. So Jesus came preaching good news to those who knew that they were spiritually bankrupt. So if you're spiritually bankrupt, you know that you don't have anything to offer God to gain his favor. You, you simply cry out to God for mercy. It, it's not the proud Pharisee who thanked God that he was not like other sinners. It was the humble tax collector who beat his breast and would not even look up to heaven, but cried out, have mercy on me, O God, a sinner. What follows in this Isaiah 61 text, in the latter half of verse 1 through verse 3, helps us to better understand the nature of this good news that was preached to the poor. So keep in mind that throughout the second half of Isaiah, we've been given several passages describing the Lord's perfect servant. What would he be like? What's his character like? What would he come to do? And we've learned some beautiful truths about his ministry in our lives. And it's clear that our fundamental problem is sin. We desperately need forgiveness. We need his power to change. But I, I want you to notice how beautifully the Lord describes the work of the perfect servant. He just doesn't say you're forgiven. He, he describes what he would come to do in very poetic, beautiful ways. Isaiah 42, 3. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. Isaiah 49, 2 says of the Lord's perfect servant, he, he made my mouth like a sharp sword in the shadow of his hand. He hid me. He made me a polished arrow. In his quiver, he hid me away. Isaiah 50, verse 4, the Lord's perfect servant, it says, The Lord God has given me the tongue of those who are taught that I may know how to sustain with a word him who is weary. Morning by morning, he awakens. He awakens my ear to hear all that to, to hear all those who are taught. And then again, Isaiah 53, I just read a portion. Let me read 4 through 6 again. Surely he has bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted, but he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace with his wounds. We are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. 
and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. (laughs) And now, continuing to paint a beautiful picture of how Jesus ministers in our life, we read in the latter half of verse 1, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. The, the, The brokenhearted is someone who has been wounded by their own sin or the sin of another. But but notice that Jesus was sent to bind up or to bandage that wound. We, We live in a day and age where it's often thought that if you've been sinned against, you've been victimized, you're scarred for life. You're kind of like wet concrete that will have this indelible mark that will never leave you. And I would argue that minimizes the work that the Lord's perfect servant does. He comes to bind up. He binds up with a bandage the wound that we have because of our sin or the sin of another. Jesus is the one capable of spiritual triage. He he knows your pain. He knows your sin. He also knows how you've been sinned against. He he understands the nature of your wounds and he cares. He is able to minister healing ointment to the wound of the brokenhearted. We also learn that Jesus came to proclaim liberty to the captives. Sin, Sin enslaves us. Sin grabs a hold of us and doesn't want to let go. You're bound and chained to the power of the evil one, but... Jesus came to announce the freedom that He alone can give to set you free from the snare of the evil one. Verse 1 ends by saying, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. So, living in sin is like living in prison. It's not a pretty place. And there's no way out. No matter how hard you try, you won't escape the bondage to sin the good news however is that jesus is your way out from your imprisonment to sin he he will open the prison doors i in studying this i thought of peter how he was in prison and an angel of the lord kind of hit him woke him up opened up the prison doors he opened up the city gate and allowed peter to walk out and it's it's almost like it was too good to be true because like Peter, he, he thought, well, this must be a dream. This can't be true. But Jesus does release us from sin's prison. Verse 2 adds, Jesus came to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. So this year of the Lord's favor is a reference to, I believe, a reference to the year of Jubilee. And according to Leviticus 25, every 50 years the Jews were to restore all of the family's land to the original owner. So settlement was to be fair, debts were to be forgiven, full restitution was to be had, liberty was, was to be proclaimed throughout the land, no work was to be done, and all of the people would know that it is the Lord who provides. All of what we are hearing here is, in fact, very positive. But, but then we hear, coupled with the year of the Lord's favor, this, and the day of vengeance of our God. So in Luke 4, when 
Jesus quotes Isaiah 61 and says, today this is fulfilled in your presence. He ends with the year of the Lord's favor. He doesn't quote, and the day of vengeance of our God. So maybe this is because the day of vengeance is yet to come at the second coming of the Lord. Uh, we know that when Jesus comes again, he will bring down judgment on all those who have rejected the gospel. I mean, that's certainly true, but it's also likely, I think, that Isaiah 61 2 is saying to those who live under the care of Jesus that he, he knows when you have been mistreated for the sake of his name. Jesus sees when you are persecuted for following him. And Jesus wants you to know that those who mistreat you for his name's sake will be held accountable someday. The Lord sees and he will act. Verse 2 ends by saying, Jesus comes to comfort all who mourn. And then in verse 3, he says, to grant to those who mourn in Zion, to give them a beautiful headdress instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, the garment of praise instead of a faint spirit. So in Jesus' second beatitude in Matthew 5, he says this, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Seems a bit odd, doesn't it? That This mourning certainly can include grief that you experience when a loved one dies, but it's more than that. It's the sorrow that, it's the deep sorrow that you have in your heart over your own sin or the sin that you see in a loved one, the sin that you see in the world. It's the pain that you experience deep in your heart when you see the God that you love being mocked and marginalized in our world. Jesus is the one who will give comfort to the one stricken by sorrow over sin. Jesus is the one who is able to make your heart glad again. Blessed, happy are those who mourn, for you will be comforted. Now, what is, what is the result of Jesus' presence and ministry in your life? Well, the result is this, righteous lives for God's glory. Verse 3 ends by saying, Jesus comes that they may be called oaks of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So there, there, there are many, many blessings that you will receive if you live under the wise and compassionate care of King Jesus, who has all authority to reign as king in this age, when, when you live under his wise and compassionate care, you, you're richly blessed in many ways. And, and when you do experience those blessings that come from living under his care, uh, you know that it is the Lord's doing that does that. You are a planting of the Lord. And it's for His glory. This text talks about the strong, tall oak tree. And I think that oak tree here symbolizes stability, permanence, and abundance. Um, but again, 
that's the planting of the Lord, the growing of the Lord. So there's, there's no room for pride. It, there's only room for humility because it's the work that the Lord does to reproduce in you His very character. So you have reason this morning to be encouraged. God is glorified when, you're, when your character reflects that of the character of King Jesus. Um, I don't have to tell you this, but 2021 had many challenges, didn't it? And now we're in 2022. And in many ways, as, as I think back over the last couple of years, I, I'm convinced that God has used the past couple of years uh, revealing all of the brokenness in the world, uh, so, some of the, the pressure that we have been in through um, COVID and um, the government's leading of, of, of a response to this pandemic, what, what's, you know, our response to the things that have been pressed upon us, uh, all of that stuff in this world, the, the fear of death, the fear of sickness, our attitudes toward governing authorities, um, issues in our own heart and relationships. In a masterful way, God has used all of that to reveal brokenness in the world and brokenness in our lives. Hardship, hardship, hard times exposes sin. And God does that, but He doesn't do it to beat us up. He does it to lead us to the Savior. And so my prayer is that as you look back over the past year and as you look forward to 2022, that you, you won't see only the challenges, you won't see only the brokenness, you won't see only your sin or the sin in the world, but you'll see the Savior. And I pray that you will see the hand of God at work in your life through Jesus, by His Spirit. I, Isaiah 61 is meant to give you courage and comfort for this life and for the life to come. In fact, all of Isaiah is written to urge you to trust the God who saves. And my prayer is that that will be true for you today. Let's pray together. Father, we just want to say thank you for these little snapshots that you've given to us of the ministry of your Son. We're thankful that you sent your Son to this earth and you sent him to accomplish your work in our lives for our good and for your glory. But, Father, help us as your people, people who have been redeemed with the precious blood of Jesus, help us not to miss the, the, the wisdom, the skill, the compassion, the tender care, the power your, your faithfulness, your perseverance. Help us not to miss 
all of the ways in which you care for us in masterful ways. And I pray, Father, that we would be a people enabled by your Spirit, strengthened by your Spirit, to to trust you, not just when things are going well, but especially in the valleys, in the dark times, when there's uncertainty, when there's questions, when there's hurt, when there's heartache. I, I pray, Father, that we would be given by you courage and faith, enable us to see your hand at work and help us to trust you. And Father, I pray for my own life. I pray for each one here, young and old alike, that your spirit would continue that work of transforming our lives so the very character of our being, that what's in our hearts that is exposed in hardships, would reflect the character of Christ. For Father, we know that that's the work that your Spirit does, and that's the work that brings you glory. And our, our desire, our passion in life is to see your name honored, and to see you exalted, to see you lifted high. And so, Father, help us to do that, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.